Welcome to another edition of Nebraska Gems, the podcast that shines a light on Nebraskans and their incredible lives. Today's Gemcast features the 1992 Nebraska Prep Athlete of the Year. He's a Bellevue West grad who was an all-state football player, baseball player, basketball player. He was the second all-time leading scorer in Class A history at Nebraska. He was the Big 8 Freshman of the Year in 1992 and helped lead Nebraska to an NIT championship in 1996. He played two seasons of professional minor league baseball, nine seasons in the NBA with the Mavericks, the Knicks, the Grizzlies, the Celtics, the Pacers, and the Bucks. In case you haven't guessed it by now, our guest is Demrick Monte Eric Strickland. Where's the Demrick Monte come from, Eric? Man, my mom. I, I, there's no there's no one in my family that is that. Um, and and that's the problem, and I think that's probably why they, they narrowed it down to Eric. No, I'll tell you the story about that. It's Demerick. Like, Demerick, okay. I, I get that all the time, Tom. Like Demerick, D, Demerick, Dem, I get all yeah. kinds of different ways. That, yeah, it's rarely somebody says it right. But my mother, when we were young, I mean, that, the name is so long. Just think about it, Demerick Monte Strickland. I mean, that's a yeah. long name. So in, in kindergarten, my mom and my dad I come home. I was struggling trying to write it and do mm-hmm. all of that. And they just said, well, let's just short it to Eric. And that's it's stuck. <laughs> Did she still call you Demerick? Uh, only when she gets mad. <laughs> <laughs> How is your mom doing? Mom's is doing good uh, down in um, uh, she's in uh, the Dallas area in a place called um, uh, Waxahachie. No, not Waxahachie, uh, Midlothian. Right. Uh, her and my sister are in the Midlothian area. Um, my nephews are there. Uh, my other sister is in Charlotte with my dad and my brother is in Charlotte. But I think he's about to move the oldest of the brothers. Uh, I am the oldest of all of all of them. And then my youngest brother is in uh, in L.A. in California. How close are you with your brothers? Pretty good. Uh, I, I would say with the younger brother, a little bit more. The, the middle yeah. brother, not as much. We we kind of were were separate. And then my dad was dating her. She was a, it was a long distance relationship, so it wasn't yeah. something yeah. that we we stayed connected growing up. But I mean, we talked periodically or on birthdays and stuff yeah. like that. But you know, when you when you kind of have that distance, and then me being significantly older than all my parents' kids. When you're when you're talking about you know five six years difference and and then most of this all comes together in your teen years because it was just me and my dad right. up until I was about thirteen. Did everybody move to Dallas because you were there playing for the Mavericks? How how'd that all work out? Initially, that's kind of how they, they didn't stay there initially. But you know, mom was originally in Atlanta. Sister kind of took a liking to it and coming down to visit and spend time and and staying there, and so yeah. she moved. And really, mom kind of came with my sister uh, at the time because I wasn't in Dallas full time at that point. I was still coaching and, you know, right. I was in New Mexico and, and a few other right. places in Nebraska. They they didn't like they they my mom didn't really like the cold too much. So she went <laughs> south. And, uh, that's kind of how that happened. Dad, dad retired and he wants to play golf every every day. So yeah. he felt Charlotte was the best place for him. How many of those uh, family members became Nebraska, true Nebraska football, basketball, sports fans? It would probably be more my sister, yeah. uh, Monique, because she actually went to high school in Lincoln High. So she 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 spent time here in Nebraska. They're, they're more of that. Even, even crazier that my sister has become a freaking Boston Celtics fan. Really? 
And some of it started when I was there and she's just, she, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here doing my, uh, you know, game prep for, we yeah. had that segments and stuff in the playoffs, NBA segment we had, and I'm looking up and I see my freaking sister in the Boston Celtics <laughs> playoff game. I'm like, what, what's going on? What, what are you doing? You saw and her on TV? Are on TV, they flash the camera on, her and I, I did a pause. I, it's a good thing you have TiVo these days, you know. If you didn't have not TiVo, you know, TiVo's old, but you know, if you didn't right. have the rewind feature in the day, I couldn't have went back. But I was able to go back. I was like, wait a second, that looked like somebody right. I know. How much were you rooting for Boston to win the NBA? Because I'm a, I'm a huge Boston fan. I mean, yeah. I live and die with the Celtics. I've got I'm in my man cave right now. I've got all my Celtics gear up at the in the wall on the wall. Yeah, I got my jersey hanging up over here. I would yeah. flash it to you, but um, <laughs> I, I I would say I always used to hate the Celtics until I became a Celtic, and that's that 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 happens a lot. I th- I think Paul Pierce experienced the same thing. Always an LA fan, you know, growing up right. in Inglewood, and just now is totally sold out for that. It, it's something about it, man. It was it was just the the beauty of Red Arback and all of them. Yeah. I, I I I did root for them. I will say two more. Um, for me, I usually root for the teams in a hierarchy standpoint of where I had the best experience. Yeah. So Memphis will always be at the bottom. Why? Um, why? Why'd you dislike Memphis? Just didn't have a good experience in in, in Vancouver. It just the organization was terrible. I think it's probably better now. I think just yeah. when I was there, it just wasn't very good. It wasn't very well run. It was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, coach. The coaching was bad for right. me, and, and just right. yeah, it was just a bad experience. You always so hear that. I gave up money to get out of there, which, in hindsight, I would never do again. But it right. was just I was so miserable that I even exited my contract. Just you to told out. me the story about uh, Boston, and you fired your agent over that whole thing. What happened? Yeah. Explain that thing. So I had a um, I had an agent, and this particular agent was. Um, he was happy, but not quite happy because prior to him coming on and becoming our agent, my father had negotiated my contract mm-hmm. after um, um, I was a free agent and the Mavericks was That's in the running for it. So right. we, uh, they had, my dad had negotiated with Ross Perot Jr. in the group for uh, about to 1.2, And so, my dad said, we'll only hire, hire an agent that can go beyond that. So right. we're, we're here. This is where we're at. If you're able to get it above that, we'll pay you for the difference of what you were able to get above that. So he was able to negotiate. Uh, we put a strategy together. I went out to summer league, had like two games, averaged like 26 points a game, went over to Denver because that was part of the, mm-hmm. that was part of the, uh, the mm-hmm. strategy, right. you right. know, create, create some, yeah. um, you know, some leverage there. Went over to Denver, had a really good workout. Uh, they expressed interest in bringing me in. And then um, Dallas stepped up and paid me 1.6 to start, like 1.6. Yeah. So he got paid on that difference. So what it ended up happening was he kept leading me, leading me. And, and, and I was I, he, I was disgruntled too, obviously, but mm-hmm. he kept telling me there was other things out here, things right. going on. I've got negotiations here. So it led me to um, opt out of my contract, think of what he said. And I found myself in L.A. working out with Magic Johnson and all those guys that were still left over right. after everybody went to camp and we're playing every day. And then the next thing I know, somebody says, Strick, why are you still here? Like, wh- wh- why aren't you in camp? 
He's like, my agent, blah, blah, blah. He was like, hold on a second, man. Let me call somebody. He called He called uh, Raymond Brothers. Right. And Raymond Brothers was Jamal Tinsley's agent at the time as well. And so he called Raymond and said, look, Eric, uh, what's going on? I told him the same situation. He yeah. says, hold on, give me 30 minutes. He gets on the phone, makes a call, calls me back in literally about 30 minutes and says, yo, Boston wants you right now. I said, really? He's yeah. like, yeah, they, they want you on. They want you out there in Boston right now. And so I, he said, you got to call your agent. Yeah. Got to go and, you know, cancel that contract, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. My agent yeah. was trying to say, wait, wait, I talked about. No, nah, no, nah, bro. Let's go. Sign the papers. Let's go. Yeah. And I was out. And that was the best thing that ever happened to me, too, because I missed all of training camp. And I loved it. So I went yeah. in there already kind of in shape. So. But you mentioned you were hesitant about Boston. A lot of players are hesitant about Boston. You've heard stuff about the fans. They can be a little yeah. over the top. But you ended up loving Boston. What changed for you? Well, I, I think it was the challenge. Because the challenge in Boston is they fit the mode of who the type of player I was. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just hard-nosed, blue-collar, work hard, get yeah. after it, yeah. grind it. You know, they, 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 they fit my mode. So yeah. it, 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 once I understood the, just the, the landscape and the people and what they loved and what they expected, I was the encompassing of that. And so that's why you see Marcus Smart is love yeah. because I was Marcus Smart. It sounds like there's a little bit of Nebraska fan and the Boston fan. A little yeah. bit. Yeah. A little bit. And that they're fickle. I, I think, listen, no, no. Yeah, a little. You're, you're right. You're right to say yeah. a little because they're very fickle and they will they will turn on you in, in a minute. <laughs> like they will, they will yeah. go from yays to boos in a minute. And yeah. Yeah. If you're not giving given what you're supposed to be given. Right, right. So, yeah, they, uh, they could be hardcore right. for sure. Uh, you were you were the 1992 Nebraska High School Athlete of the Year at Bellevue West and generally recognized as one of the best athletes in Nebraska high school history. But there's always that debate among parents uh, for their kids. Should he play several sports like you did? You played football, basketball, baseball, or should yeah. he focus, specialize on one sport? What would you tell parents on that? <laughs> Tom, I love you, man. That's a very good question. Yeah. And um, it's one that is harder today because you've got so much different technological advances, especially in sport, in equipment, in training. A lot of things are a lot different now. But I still say the old system works and it works well. Here's why I say that. It was different from when, uh, so is uh, just a quick Caveat of an example, no matter what type of shape I was in, I was in some of the best shape coming out of basketball season in the spring. Next thing you know, I'm about to go on the football field. And I realized the fatigue, the soreness of the body, the aching of different areas of my body that because I was using different muscles that I wasn't necessarily yeah. using. Sure with explosion, with different types of things, those are different uses. That's why I think all the sports worked for me because I never over accentuated or overused any different area of my body. That's why I didn't have any major injuries all through my career because yeah. my muscles got rest, yeah. right? They weren't always my tendons and my knees and my ankles and my Achilles and all of those things weren't constantly being pressured in just the focus of one sport between training and playing and summer leagues and all that stuff. 
So playing baseball, I was able to use different type of muscles, different types of, you know, body usage and football, same thing. And that's why I think I was able to make it work. Yeah. And you may not know too at 15 or 16, what you're good at, right? I mean, right. You, you might excel in football, but you haven't tried baseball or basketball yeah. or track. So you don't know, um, maybe, and you, plus you, you're in different team environments. Sometimes it's just good for a kid to have those, those experiences, right? Yeah, I agree. And a lot of parents, a lot of parents kind of look and live vicariously through their, their kids. And yeah. so they're looking at what also they think may be the best route. And then let's be real about it. Some parents are looking at the fact of what area and what sport is going to pay this college tuition, right? Um, you may not like soccer, but, you know, hey, I, I know your stature. I see your size. Mm, basketball may not be the thing for you. Even though you love basketball, they're going to probably push you towards soccer. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's like yeah, I get it. you end up kind of getting getting yeah. kind of led along down yeah. a path. And sometimes kids get burnt out. Sometimes kids get frustrated and they rebel. And at the end of their time, they're they're mad and they're mad at their parents and so forth and so on. So you got those things that you got to be careful for. I didn't do that to mine. I made my son. My son is six six two sixty. One of the things I did for him is I brought I, I brought both him and my daughter. My daughter plays volleyball. I brought both of them down. And I showed them the University of Nebraska and I took them into the locker room and I showed them, I said, hey, if this is what you want, there's a requirement of sacrifice and things that you're going to have to work on to get here. Right. My son didn't want it. He didn't want it. He didn't have that drive for it. And, and, and you know, he could have been an interior lineman right now for Nebraska. But, uh, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. What's he doing right now? He's out in D.C. He's he's really helping his mom. I think his mom is battling some cancer right now. Uh, he's working. He's working. I mean, those are some of the things I did with him. Is I I actually played Monopoly, Tom, with my son when he was young because yeah. I wanted him to understand the value of money and what it what it means and that it's just not growing on trees. And so I I actually played games with him. Use his house. I mean, use his room as his apartment. Use his bike as his transportation use these lights as he had electrical bills, use water. So all the stuff that he used, we played Monopoly. He had to, he had to, he had to count for it in his budget. But you mentioned this. Um, you played Monopoly with your son. You wanted to have him learn the value of money. You saw it in sports. Guys that yeah. made you know millions and millions of dollars uh, lost it all. Why yeah. does that happen so often with athletes in sports? I think it's multifaceted. I, I, I think – when the lights turn off for a lot of athletes, they don't have nothing else to fall back on except for what they knew and love. Sometimes it's it's you uh, you burn bridges. You become so engrossed in the in the sport, encapsulated in the whole thing of that sport, that you forget about networking and people and everybody you're looking down to, and then there's nobody to get access to you, so you lose that. Then. You've just got aspects of when when we don't have or we're not taught in the community sometimes financial literacy. So what ends up happening at times is you see 50 million, you think you got 50 million. No, sir. <laughs> right. So you're spending like you got 50 million, but you really don't got 50 million, which then puts you under the bus. And then you're constantly chasing, you know, chasing that rap. You know, to get back on point. So and a, lot a lot of guys just, that come with it. And a lot of guys just think it's you know, they're going to make fifty million every year. I mean, like it's just going to keep the rest going of their life. Right. They don't. They right. don't see an end point. I mean, sports careers, the best of them end at forty, unless you're Tom Brady, right? Yep. 
I tell young people when I get a chance to, t to, to talk to them, I say, listen, your first contract, you live your first contract as if you don't got it. Even if you got 10 million, 7 million, you live as if you don't got it, man. Get, live in your apartment, a town home. Don't go out there and get crazy. If you want to do something for your mom and dad, cool. You know, do that. But, you know, just, yo, live as if you, you don't have it. Yeah. And then if you get, if you're blessed, because the average years is, you know, four years, I think, in basketball, maybe three in football, baseball, right. maybe even less than that, um, or maybe more than that. But at the end of the day, when you get your second one, now you can explore. The right. first one's just sitting there. It's accumulating. It's it's building. It's interest. It's different. You you don't touch that and let it let it twerk for you, and just allow your second one to go and play. Maybe invest. Maybe go and you know dig into some some travel and and seeing things. That's that's the way I try to tell them. They're, your first one's not the one to play with. It's your second one. He's Hall of Famer Eric Strickland. You're on the radio now and doing very well at it. Did you? You think so, Tom? Hey. Like, for real. Like, I mean, because I remember when we used to talk. I'm, I'm going to let you answer. But I remember when we used to talk and you'd invite me on the show. I mean, there was some apprehension, some fear, some things. I kind of was like, mm, uh, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but go ahead. You've gotten really good at it. And it's a hard it's a hard thing. I mean, you understand. You Sometimes you come off the air after a three-hour show. You're exhausted. I mean, I was mentally yeah. drained and now you have to cover husker football basketball some baseball. you were they're not good i mean you yeah. were nebraska when you were there they were winning you won a national title in basketball nebraska was in the midst of 60 and 3 in football it's yeah. men's sports are struggling hoiberg yeah. 7 7 and they finally won 10 last year it's it, you it, it has to hurt you and uh, talking about Husker sports every day, and especially on the men's side, it's got to be a little bit draining, right? You want Nebraska to be good, and yet they're just not right now. Why aren't they good? Tom, it, it, for me, I speak on, on multiple levels. I've been watching it from afar and from close in many times. I've tried to come back at times and just to be around the program. And I think I – think, um, it's frustrating because, and I'm not going to say this is me, and I say this all the time. It's like, I don't, it doesn't have to be me, but I still think that they need to have some of us internal into the program. And the reason being is, and this is, this is no racial connotation. This is nothing. This is nothing about assimilation and, and all this. I don't buy into that either way. I, I still think you're acumen. I think you're, you know, you know, you need to be able to have the ability to get the job done and do the job right. 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 Um, but I still think that when you look around, you want to be able to see some people that reflect you. Mm -hmm. right? right. You know, if you're trying to go out here and recruit a lot of these kids in all these different inner city areas and all over the place and you bring them in and then they're walking around the offices, don't think they're not watching. You know what I mean? They're looking around and they're saying, Okay, yeah, it's this. The facilities are great, great offices, but I don't see nothing that looks like me. I and I think they should have more people like that yeah. because here's and the reason reason I say that is one of one of the players uh, some time ago, Ty Webster. 
Ty Webster, I happened to be in town sitting at the game right next to him and his dad. I knew his dad because his dad played, didn't play in the NBA, but we knew each other from playing because we played around the same time. And he says, let me sit next to you, Eric, for a second. Cool. We just started talking. And he says to me, he's like, I don't think I'm going to send Ty here. He's like, why do you think I should or why do you think I shouldn't? And I said, I just began because I came from Nebraska Mm -hmm. as a young man. So Mm -hmm. I just began to tell him and sell him and show him why Ty would be comfortable here. Right. There's not a lot of people that can do that. And I think that's what the problem is. I used to tell Coach Miles, Tom, I'll come and do the job that you're paying all those other guys for for half and do it just as good as they would. I had three players that went on to have tremendous success. One, Treshawn Thurman, played absolutely well for Nevada. And in, in their run, when they went, I think, to the Elite Eight, right. he yeah. was at Central. His dad and I were talking, having conversations. Strick, if you're down there, I'd be willing to send my son down there. Justin Patton, talking to Tim Miles, basically saying he's a project. Yes, I knew that. But I also knew that he had both hands and he's got great timing on blocking shots. He's going to get into a weight program and get stronger and he will become a good player. Ended yeah. up becoming a pro, first round draft pick. Uh, and then Kyrie Thomas over at Benson, I said, listen, I got this young man. I'm mentoring him. He's a lockdown defender, long arms, and he can get anywhere on the court that he wants to get to. No, he can't shoot the ball consistently right now, but he works his tail off. I'm telling Tom, Tim Miles this, had three of those kids in in state all go to Creighton and they all bust in our head. It's so true. You mentioned we need more people maybe at Nebraska that that look like me. And and you're you're talking about African-Americans, obviously. Nebraska now has – because of the Scott Frost firing, uh, yeah. he is no longer the head coach at Nebraska. Uh, didn't work out. Mickey Joseph now will be the – it's interim, but he's the first African-American head coach of any sport at Nebraska. To your point, there haven't been enough coaches, enough enough people around the program. Mm-hmm. How, how big of a deal is this for you that Mickey could take the mantle and run with it at Nebraska? I think it's a long time coming. I'm glad that he's getting a great opportunity. I'm actually glad, and I knew that if they lost, I I said it even on the block on our show, I said if they lose, okay, losing Northwestern, that can happen. Time, opportunities to change and Mm -hmm. turn that around. I said if they lose any one of the North Dakota or the Georgia Southern game, I thought Scott would be done. I thought they would pull the trigger. I love that. Trev pulled the trigger when he did, even though we lost fifteen or seven seven point five million dollars in, in doing that. Normally, that's not a great business decision. That's something that you wouldn't do, but I think it was necessary, especially with the morale of the fans. Mm-hmm. Right, going into Oklahoma, going into that week, I just don't know if having Scott Frost as the head going into that week would have been a good look for mm-hmm. that Oklahoma game. So. It gets, also gives Mickey Joseph time, time to show, time to prove, time to work, time to build. It gives him time to do that. And so I'm, 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 I'm thankful that he's going to get that opportunity to do that. 
I mentioned you're a full-time radio host now in Lincoln, Nebraska. You work for 93.7 The Ticket. You've been on my show in the past on The Ticket, and yeah. now you've grown into it. You've developed a chemistry with your partners on that. But did you, with being a talk show host, you're required at times to be critical of athletes. Yeah. You know what that's like. Uh, you've had you've heard talk show hosts critical of you at times. Yeah. How how has that gone for you? That because you're not a naturally critical guy. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're right. Though, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> it's tough, but I, I've learned to be tactful and not brazen. Like you just hammer a kid. I look. I try to look for things that. I can take and also shine light on the goodness of, but then also be able to be critical as well. So in being critical, it's not like it's a bashing thing or I'm just beating the drum over his head and, and just trying to kill him. But, you know, I, I was very critical in, in a lot of ways of uh, Alonzo Verge last year in basketball. Sure. I was very critical. Yes. And but yet I was tactful and also in what he did well and what I saw, I thought he did well or what I thought he could do better to also give him, you know, some things. I was I was critical about Bryce McGowan sometimes. I still think he shouldn't have left. I think he I think it's going to be it could be an awakening for him. But now we're going to see, is he going to thrive or is he going to, uh, you know, fall by the wayside because of the fact that he went too early? Um, I think some skills that he could have worked on. Yeah, you, you played the most successful era of Nebraska basketball for sure, the Danny Knee era. Could Danny Knee and his style had could it have been successful today? Because he could be harsh, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, Dan, Danny. Listen, Danny was in your face. Um, it seems like this is a coddled generation a little bit where, yeah. you, you know, you can't really challenge them a little bit. Yeah. NIL doesn't help that because some of these kids are probably making more money than some of the assistants these days. But I think Danny's style of play could have been successful. I actually have been to practice a few times now, and I've got a chance to see that their defensive style is looking very reminiscent of ours in the past, the way that they're going to guard this year. So those things, I, I think, yeah, Danny could have been successful. Danny had a way of also touching you and making you and motivating you and feel good and and so forth. I think Danny, for me, and I still love him to this day. I, mean, I know he's not doing well. You know, shout out to the family, everybody, you know, the whole knee family. Love all you guys. You guys are always and have always been great. I, I think uh, Danny, for me, and I understand, you've got a 6'3", guard who plays the two who can play multiple positions and i was before my time that goes naturally now in the nba that's like you know everybody can have that type of success now but back in my day that was it was very you know you know if you were this size and you were this you were a point guard if you were that you were two or you can shoot and you were three if you were this it was very much you know you were in a silo and i didn't learn the point guard position and danny used to always say well you know, we're gonna we're gonna get you get you an agent and look to get you overseas. And I'm saying, I'm saying overseas. I'm like, okay. And I just got in the gym and worked my butt off and and, and worked my tail off and, and it ultimately worked out for me. You know, that would be the thing that I would say 
at Nebraska, I, I it was it was a disservice that was to me was that I didn't get to play the position yeah. or learn the position that would have been more beneficial to me at the next level. Well, it worked out. Yeah. One of the greatest uh, defensive players in the NBA. Uh, we'll get into your NBA career, but I do want to uh, talk a little bit about current Nebraska basketball. But obviously, when Scott Frost was brought in, home run higher. Uh, Fred Hoiberg brought in home run higher. Neither of them have worked out. Scott Frost has been fired. Hoiberg has this on year. The hot seat. He's on, on the hot he's, seat. Def, he's definitely on the hot seat. What does he need? What do you need to see? You mentioned defense. Maybe they're playing defense finally this year. What do you need to see for Hoiberg to keep his job this year? Well, I definitely, I definitely need to see just progression. It just seemed like I was watching a continuous movie or it was like I was in the Matrix when I would watch games last year. It was like it was is like, did y'all watch film last week? Did y'all see that y'all are doing the exact same thing that is costing you games? Did y'all see that you gotta play 40 minutes and not 26 or 30? Did y'all see that when you're driving, you're overdriving and there's three people waiting on you in the paint and you must make the next pass and then the next one after that in order to get good shots. I'm watching all of this and I'm like, and listen, and I understand, and this is one of the things I had about the program at the time. I mean, they've got new coaches now, so we'll see. Mm -hmm. But at the time, I'm like, are y'all not? I know Fred can't do that individually. So what, what are you assistants not doing to be able to show, I'm looking at this just in, in with a pro mindset of saying that's a one, two, and that's an easy shot or to the next drive for a drop off. I'm like, are they not seeing the next progression? That's what I want to see. I want to see progressive. I want to see, I want to see mental acuity. I want to see basketball, you know, acumen, you know what I mean? Just wise decisions. And, you know, when you're running the break or when you're defense and, you know, your rotations and you're not watching rebounds just come off. I, I went to practice and I was like, okay, they, they're, they're working on that. You know, not just turn, turn and put a body on people. Don't be just turning and looking. And next thing you know, two people flying over your back and they're banging on you. You know, so those are some of the things I'm hoping to see. I'm just hoping to see them play solid basketball, team best, or, you know, play your butt off and not worrying about when you're going to come out and don't say nothing in the tank. Exhaust it all. Go sit on the bench for a little bit, come back. And then at the end, who's hot, we roll with. When he loses it, we come with somebody else and be okay with it. Just have a team mentality. Nebraska basketball should be interesting this year. Hoiberg, definitely on the hot seat, as you mentioned. You played two years of minor league baseball, one with the Gulf Coast Coast Marlins and the other with the Elmira Pioneers in the New York Penn League. We've all seen Bull Durham. Debbie, you, you've obviously seen Bull Durham. Was there anything anything similar to that? Absolutely. Your first season is is really like it's like the Matrix. It is. It's like you're in this you're in the city. You've taken a blue pill, and it's like <laughs> everything is hunky dory. You live in these nice apartments. You got three room. I mean, you you got four yeah. room or three roommates you and another share room and another share room, nice apartments. And you get on a bus in the morning, you go eat breakfast, you go to a nice facility and you work out. But the hardest part about it is you're playing every day for the most part at 12 noon in Florida sun. So you're baking, right? Yeah. 
so that's that's one of the hard things about it. but then the next year take you up to single single season a short season up there put you in a nice hotel you're like okay cool it's gonna be like the same and the next thing you, know, you got three days find you a place and if you don't you gotta pay for this hotel the rest yeah. of the time like, wait a minute we got three days to find a place so you get going try to buy a bike and you go and try to find all these different things to right. try to uh, figure out transportation place uh rent of rent of furniture all kinds of stuff in three days and practice so uh then you taking these bus rides and when i tell you taking these bus rides depending on where you're at we're kind of kind of yeah. partially centralized but I mean, 12 hour bus rides you know it's eight hour bus rides play the game you know come back go to another city yeah it's it's real it's and it's you were absolutely. doing all of that while you were at nebraska which yeah. is unusual for most uh professional baseball players they're not in college but you could do it because you were playing basketball at nebraska and playing baseball that that had to be a little bit of a grind right it was it was mental it was a mental grind and i think by the time my second year was finished I'd come home and I'd be like, I didn't want to do nothing because I was just yeah. mentally tired. And my grades kind of suffered. I kind of went on probation that first semester because I was like, I ain't going to class. I'm tired. You know? <laughs> and um, and so then that that happened and that was a wake up call. And then it, you know, turned around, ultimately ended up being academic all big eight, you know, in my, my, my last few years. But it was, it was tough. And and I don't ever think I'm smart. You know, people say, oh, you made the right, you're so smart. You made the right decision. Nah, I really wasn't. Great coaches told me basically, yo, if, if it doesn't work out in basketball, I think you'll be a hell of a MLB player or a hell of an NBA player. But I, if it doesn't work out, if you decide to go to basketball, you're welcome to come back if it doesn't work. I said, really? Okay. And well, it worked. You, you obviously made the right choice. You had great success in the NBA, nine years in the NBA, and played – which in an era which is generally considered the best era yeah. of NBA basketball. I mean, you had Jordan, you had LeBron, you had obviously you mentioned playing with Magic. That was the best era of all time, right? That may never happen again. Yeah, I, I would have to agree. I mean, a good majority of the top, you know, the top tier players in in the world were during that time. I mean, you know, every night was a was a tough one. I mean, one night it's Rod Strickland, the next night. It's John Stockton. And then the next night, it's Tim Hardaway. Then the next night, it's Mahmoud abdul Roof. Then the next night, it's um, Nick Van Exel. And then the next <laughs> I mean, next night, it's Baron Davis. Then the next right. night, it's uh, Stephon Marbury. Then the next night, it's, uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You just go and, down the gamut, man. And, and you had to guard all those guys. You had to guard the best offensive players in the history of the NBA. Your MO was defensive stopper. Yeah. Of all those guys you mentioned, I, you didn't even mention, you know, Kobe or LeBron, yeah. Uh, yeah. MJ. You guarded all those guys. One time you guarded Shaq, for crying out loud. Yeah. Who was Tim the Duncan? Had to guard Tim Duncan, too. Yeah, Tim, <laughs> Tim Duncan, which seems crazy. The hardest guard. I, I've asked you this before, but I never get tired of hearing it. Uh, your hardest guard of all time. I, it's not who people think it would normally be. You yeah. always can say your Jordans and your Kobe's just because their counters yeah. uh, are just phenomenal. And and with them, it's not a matter of you you being able to hold them. It's a matter of just being there and challenging. And they have a good night. They do. If they don't, they don't. But the ones that were really tough for me was like Rod Strickland, 
who was like just absolutely strong. Um, it was Nick Van Exel, who had no pattern to his game. Um, and then it was chasing guys like Reggie Miller and Rip Hamilton, who never stopped. It was just one of those nights where you better have your Wheaties and eat your pasta and have a lot of energy because you're going to be running a lot. Yeah. So it wasn't a lot of the guys that are, you know, are tough for a lot of people. They weren't, they were tough, but they weren't like, you know, a worry for me, you know, mm -hmm. those guys like Stefan Marbury and, and, um, you know, uh, Baron Davis and Tim Hardaway. I mean, those guys were tough, but they had patterns. I knew sit on the crossover, make sure you're there on the shot. You know, Allen Iverson forced him to the, to the, uh, to the right because I'm sorry, to the left, because he's going to shoot more than he's going to do if right, he goes to the right. right, you know? So I knew patterns about certain guys, but them other guys, man, like Ross Strickland was like Kyrie Irving today. What's know? the bigger grind playing 82 games in the NBA or playing baseball where you're not moving as much because the NBA you're it's constant movement. As you mentioned, you're running all the time. Uh, which is a bigger grind? I think when you look at it with what you just said, if you're a major player in the NBA, I think it's a big grind. I've had games, and people don't really understand the mental part of this part of it, is five games in seven nights. And it's like you play a back-to-back, -back, you have a day off, but it's a travel day, either that night or the next morning, shoot around or maybe even just a film work, then play the next day, Boom. After that, fly to the next city or wait to the next morning to fly, then have another practice, then, you know, spend the night, then go and play the next game. And then you finally get to go home. You know, those things are really trying when you're talking about that type of, uh, you know, scheduling. Baseball is very tough in that you play every day, every day, dang near. Yeah. And then you've got to travel and get to another city and play. But you're playing every day. So in totality, I think baseball is probably the hardest grind because, but you're saying you're not as active, active, yeah. but the mental part of it is, 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 you know, you're always, you're every day working. Like when do you have time okay. to get any time to yourself? Yeah. And, and basketball now you're seeing more and more guys take days off. I mean, that's just yeah. built in now. If you're playing a day night double header, you know, back to back, I should say, you're probably getting the next day off. That didn't happen in your era. Do you agree right. with the, the new era of uh, NBA where, hey, we'll just give the guys a couple of days off in the middle of the week? And so they're starting to get some pushback from the, the league on that. You know what I mean? Because ultimately they're looking out for the big money and mm -hmm. just say LeBron, it's, a, it's an off day for LeBron, but Toronto wants to see LeBron play. Right. You see right. what I'm saying? So they're getting pushback. They, I don't know if it's going to come up in the next – collective bargaining agreement that they may give them a certain amount of days. If it goes beyond that, then they got to give some money back or something. So you, you don't have to answer this question. We could edit it out the, of the interview if you want, but the 1996 walkout, you played on a team that started 12 and four red hot, then lost eight in a row. Then the walkout happened. Then you came back together as a team and you win five in a row and you win the NIT championship. For those who don't know, what happened? What happened? Yeah, I think that's that's that was just a lot of being misunderstood, right? Initially, there was supposed to be a day off. There was an initial scheduling of the day off mm -hmm. that this all happened. 
Coach then calls a practice. We then, you know, I don't want to say it was an absolute walk off, but yeah, we did. And, mm-hmm. But what, what we did, though, in it is we went and met, and I want to say it was at Jason Glock's apartment, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong, but I think it was at Jason Glock's apartment. Because what we were finding was there was a lot of clicking going on. This group was frustrated by this group because of something that was said or something. And we we were feeling as if the coaches were kind of, you know, pitting guys against each other, so forth and so on. You know, uh, something between Tom Wald and maybe Jerron Boone or, you know, just some things were being pitted. And me being a captain, it was just kind of like, look, we need to come together. We started off like united. Now we're clicked off, got in the room. And basically I said, I said, listen, we're going to hash this thing out right now. You're going to look each other in the eye. And if you have any kind of beef with anybody in this room, it's going to come out right now and it's going to end. It's not going to go past this room. This is it. If we need to come to blows right now, that's what's got to happen. But after we walk out this door, it's over. You know, that's the kind of, and then everybody kind of got in and agreed and, whatever people had hashed out, find out what the common denominator of that problem was. And at that point, we're like, look, we're just going to go finish the season. We don't care about the coaches. We don't care about, we're going to finish our senior season the way that we want it to be. And we're not going to go out like suckers. You know what I mean? Basically. Yeah. And so we went into the big eight, uh, the big eight tournament. We had a really tough game, played our butts off, came up short, won a couple of games down the stretch went into the NIT with the same mentality and we said this is our chance this is where we're going to make it we're going to change the whole we're going to change the whole narrative of what this year was by this this tournament and that's what happened the players decided we're not letting this sli- season slip away do you think yeah. Nebraska football players can take something from that cuz they have an opportunity here with a yeah. brand new coach right i would hope so i hope i hope Collectively, I hope from the top, Mickey and knowing Mickey sat them in this room and had a very staunch reality check to each and every one of them. And you know that happened because of some of the stuff that you hear coming out of the camp for the receivers room. That's his silo. So he can't go and do that to everybody. But now being the head, you know, I'm sure he sat down with some coaches and had some really stern yeah. Real come to come to Jesus type moments in, in each of those coaches rooms. Then he collectively got with them. Then I think he went to certain individuals, had discussions with them. And then I'm then to challenge them to have discussions internal amongst themselves and do do heart checks. You know what I'm saying? Are you going right. to be a sucker? Or are you going to be a man? Which one right. are you going to be? That NIT year, that 1996 year, you could have made a movie about it. If they beat Oklahoma this weekend, if, you know, if, if they turn this season, you're going to write in a first African-American coach. There could be, we always thought the movie was going to be around Scott Frost. This has a chance to be a Hollywood type ending for Mickey Joseph. Agreed. 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 And, And the crazy thing about that, Tom, is the schedule is set up for it. The schedule is not – you ain't got to go through a gauntlet of Penn State, Michigan State, uh, Ohio State, and then you don't got to go through that gauntlet. You've got fodder. You've got n- newspaper fodder 
that you can right. put on every game because they have beat your butt. Indiana has embarrassed you. Illinois has definitely embarrassed you. P.J. Fleck in Minnesota be talking about how buster you are, and we're going to run through you like, you know, uh, a, a train track going through uh, multiple cities and not stopping. And then you've got um, you've got Purdue, who has given you the business over the last few years, and you've got uh, Michigan, who you almost pulled it out on. They're kind of still getting quarterback situations, but I think that's solidified now. That's going to be a tough one in the big house. But then you've got revenge games against Wisconsin and Iowa, both of them who are down. The schedule set up for you. All you got to do is freaking come out to play. I watched Texas, Tom. I watched Texas play in this last game that they just they just lost. Alabama. Alabama. And I watched how they swarmed to the ball, how yeah. they attacked, how they were aggressive, how nothing – you listen – Every they were disciplined. It had had yours not gone down, yeah. card not got hurt. That could have been a whole different circumstance. Or that safe, or that or that cornerback who Man. came unabated towards. If he makes that tackle, there could be a whole different story yeah. here. Why them and not us? Well, and when Trev Alberts fired Scott Frost, he mentioned the guys need a new voice. But you also. You've left seven and a half million dollars on the table by by firing Scott Frost. You could have waited, what you know, just a Three week weeks. and a half. You've probably seen that in sports, where a new voice comes in as a coach, and guys suddenly gel together. And Albert's reasoning is, I didn't want to give up on these guys. I didn't want to give up on this season. What are the odds that this can get turned around for Nebraska football? Listen, the offense has played very well. The only difference is I'm still challenging that offensive line. And I'm saying, and matter of fact, I might, if I'm the lineman, I might still have snippets, short breakdowns, and one session is going to be towards watching what Northwestern, North Dakota, and they did against you and how big those holes were. Why are those freaking holes that big and why aren't ours? Because if if it's anywhere close to that, our running backs have field days. Why can't we do that? Absolutely. And then challenging them for it, right? Yep. I'm saying the same thing for the defensive line. Why are these freaking holes as big as the Grand Canyon? Why are you jumping in when you should be going through? Your your gap is here. Or your, your assignment is straight. I didn't say that she didn't go inside. Now you've opened up a lane that created a canyon for these guys to run through. I'm challenging each of them at every position because it's putting strain on the defense and the defensive backs and the linebackers and the tackling. All this stuff is just subpar. You've got to change it. That's the only way this whole situation changes. It's got to be a challenge inwardly, internally, and by all the staff. He's the Hall of Famer, Eric Strickland, former Nebraska guard, played nine seasons in the NBA, played some minor league baseball, obviously. I'm going to do the lightning round, Eric, with you and just ask you rapid-fire questions and you give me the first thing that comes into your mind. What was the last gift you gave someone? A jersey. A jersey. Do you remember? Which jersey was it? It was a Indiana Pacers jersey. Nice. What's the funniest thing that's ever happened to you recently? Anything? Recently? Or just of all time, maybe. 
the funniest thing was when I put my jersey on backwards and checked into the game. <laughs> you did that? Yeah, man. That sounds like something it, I would do. It was it was it was Strickland twenty, and I had to change. <laughs> what, what, when was who was who were you with at the time? I was in Dallas. <laughs> I think I might have been a rookie. I don't know. I was either a rookie or it was earlier in my Dallas years. If you could I have one super one superpower, what would you have? Um, to be able to read minds. Ooh, really? Why is that? I mean, because that can sometimes be awkward. No, no, reading minds, not not playing with minds, but reading them to be able right. to know, you know, what their what their buttons are, what what yeah. their you know how to touch them in the right way, how to yeah. you know speak life to them, how to get them um, what is needed for them in order to either work with them or to do business with them or stuff like so that. So almost like a coach. You'd like to know what they're thinking. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. If you could trade lives with anybody, I can't imagine you would trade lives with anybody. Would you? Who would it be? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I would say my dad. That's a great answer. Why? Man, my pops is living the best life he, he can. He plays golf every day. He's retired. He's just living <laughs> his best life. He's he's traveling. He's doing all the yeah. things that I love. You, I mentioned mentioned this. You mentioned your dad was your agent. Uh, is that a good idea in most cases to have a relative as an agent? Um, it depends. It depends on yeah. you know what what the you know the their their it out for motives you. are. What their motives are. I think for me, my dad. First of all, I think in the way that the systems are built today, you don't even need an agent because if you're going to be a lottery pick or you're going to be a high draft pick, you're already slotted for a specific salary. You right. only need maybe an agent or a marketing person to basically market you. Right. You know what I mean? At that point. So you're yeah. wasting money. You're really wasting money. Um, Ray Allen figured it out and he became his own agent. So he made all the money. Get you an attorney. Yeah. <laughs> what would your autobiography be called? Strix land strict i love that i love that i'm gonna read that you got to put it out <laughs> dogs or cats dogs why just their man's best friend yeah they are cats are sneaky do you like christmas yeah. music at christmas it it definitely and not six weeks before christmas right no no at right Chris around yeah. christmas what is your favorite season spring I, I would agree with that. From one to ten, how weird are you? Five. Yeah, right there in the middle. How lucky are you, one to ten? Um, I wouldn't say, for me, I wouldn't say I'm lucky. I'd say I'm blessed, so I'd say seven, eight. Do you believe in, like, Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster or anything crazy like that? Facts. You do? I, I don't think we're the only ones here. No. <laughs> Strick, you're the best. Uh, thanks for joining me. I've been wanting to do this for forever. Yeah. Candid answers. I love your talk show. Can't wait to be on it uh, sometime soon. Man, you always are welcome on the block, man. And the same here. I'm about to come over and just hang on, you hang out with you guys on one Sunday and just uh, uh, just oh. chop it up on all the week's uh, <laughs> finals and football and all those good things that are happening. You're in. You're absolutely in um, many, many times, not just once. Yeah. Eric Strickland, the Hall of Famer, thanks for joining us. Always, man. I appreciate you.